Right. A very warm welcome to episode three of the Fantasy Five podcast. Uh, my name, as ever, is Dan Barker Gray. I'm going to be your host and guide through uh, our guest team for this uh, third episode of the show. I uh, just want to give a big thank you to everybody who's listened to the first two episodes. Um, we had uh, Rich Nelson of the uh, 1980s football podcast Magnificent on our first episode where he chose his team of the 80s. And then in episode two, we had uh, Mark Godfrey from the Vincere podcast telling the story of Italia 90. Uh, and he picked his um, eclectic, I think is the best word to use, uh, team from Italia 90. Um, so my guest for episode three is the author of the fantastic book Premier League Nuggets and also The Agony and the Ecstasy, which tells the tale of the Football League playoffs. Uh, he's a Crystal Palace supporter, so please welcome to Fantasy Five, Mr. Richard Foster. Richard, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very good, thank you, Dan. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I'm a little bit sore after yesterday's game, and, and uh, yeah, we, we weren't great. We haven't been great. The problem is we're now on the beach a bit, and you know we're not going down, we're not going into Europe, and it's that sort of, oh, what's the point of playing type stuff that's going on at the moment. But um, other than that, I'm very well, thank you, Dan, and, and, I hope, and hopefully you and all your uh, supporters and audience are well as well. That's uh, so great. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's always a bit difficult when you get towards the end of the season. You, you, you don't really have anything to play for. It's, uh, it's, it's a, quite unusual it's a, for a Palace fan because normally we've still got the sort of icy grip of relegation just sort of hovering. And then we just get over the line and it's fine. And everyone says, oh, can we not have a season where we're just not in any trouble? And, quite, and most of the fans are now going, can we not go back to when we had a bit of, you know, jeopardy? Because <laughs> this is really boring. I'm really bored of this. So you can never win with football fans. They're never happy, are they? I mean, I'm happy because it's, you know, we're in the longest consecutive top flight, let alone Premier League. Uh, we're, we're, we'll be in our eighth consecutive season next season. And that's the longest we've ever been in the Premier League consecutively. So I remember, I'm old enough to remember the bad old days. When we went to, used, used to go to a place like Grimsby and <laughs> get beaten. And I remember very clearly uh, once going to Grimsby and I can't remember the score because it wasn't that great a game. I remember getting chased back to my car and I ended up in a sweet shop, in the back of a sweet shop, because there were a couple of Grimsby fans who, as we used to call it, wanted to swap programmes with me uh, and my brother and a friend. And my brother ended up in the back of a pet shop. I was in a sweet shop and I was just hiding at the back. The Grimsby fans came in and said, where is he? Where is he? And the sweet shop owner just went, don't know what you're talking about. And they then they went. So that's my experience of Grimsby. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's changed a little bit uh, recently. I, I'd like yeah, to, this uh... was in the bad old, this was in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's changed a little bit now. We we don't have any. Uh, oh, we do. No, we do have a pet shop near the ground now. Actually, yeah, it's about five it's probably the same away. one I went in. Well, my brother went into. Sorry, <laughs> more than likely. Um, mm. So before we get into your team, uh, your book uh, Premier League Nuggets, um, which is available now, um, it's it's a fantastic read uh, if you're. If you're wanting to be a mine of information about every Premier League club, um, then Richard, Richard's book is most definitely uh, one for you. Tell me, what was the inspiration behind 
the making of the Premier League Nuggets book. And you, you did one about the World Cup as well, didn't you? Yeah, it was called World Cup Nuggets, that one. Um, I can tell you the inspiration exactly why I have done a few books on Nuggets. Uh, World Cup Nuggets came out, obviously, just before Russia. Uh, 28, it seems about 10 years ago, that, doesn't it? Uh, it really and does. then World Cup Nuggets came out last year in November. But the reason I use Nuggets is because when I first started in uh, my writing, which was you know, a few years ago now, um, I got some very good advice from someone who's effectively my publishing mentor. And he said to me, he said, when you're writing a book, when you're starting to write a book, you should have around 100 nuggets. And I said, sorry, what, what do you mean by that? And he explained, it's, it's a nugget is enough information to be of interest, it might turn into a feature if you wanted to do it. But if you only had 50 nuggets, it's not enough. If you had 200, it's too many because you, people just can't take that in. So you've got to try and concentrate on around 100. That's about the right. And it's a really good guideline. If you're gonna write a book, non-fiction I'm talking about, about football, for example, just sort of think about that get about 100 nuggets, that's about the right length. And the right depth is the other important thing. Because you don't want to, if you've only got 20, you're going to have to go into a lot of depth and it's going to be difficult. So that's where the idea of calling the books Nuggets came from. And actually I was planning to do a European Championship one, Euro Nuggets, but obviously that got um, canned, maybe delayed for a year, like everything else. Um, and it, it does make sense to people. So I actually do some work in local schools around here and I go and do writing classes. And when I explain nuggets, obviously all the kids go, oh, well, it's Kentucky Fried Chicken. I said, no, <laughs> this is a nugget. It comes out of a mine, as you mentioned there. It's a little bit of gold. And then they get it. They get it quite quickly. And they go, oh, okay, that's... And I say, you know, in your writing class, I want three nuggets. Off you go. And it, it just seems to encapsulate what a book should be about. And it's, you know, the, the World Cup nuggets, Premier League nuggets are fact-driven, stat-driven. They're not... It's not like the agony in the ecstasy, the playoff book, which is a narrative. Because that's looking at the history of the playoffs from 87 all the way to, well, the last edition was 2017, so 13 years. Um, but Nuggets is much more dip in and out. And it's been very interesting because Premier League Nuggets is actually, uh, we made sure that a lot of commentators got hold of it because we thought this would be useful. And nearly all of them say it's really handy as preparation. So they use it as the base. Obviously, they've got to update it because it's a book and it doesn't get updated, but it does help them as a frame of reference. So in the book, you've got every all 49 clubs, which I thought was really important because I don't want to just focus on Man United and Arsenal and Man City and Chelsea. You know, Blackpool, Swindon and Barnsley were only in the Premier League for one season, but that was there, you know, in the... And again, I'll say, I know it's not year zero, 1992, but it's, you know, we've had quite a lot of Premier League history. Um, so I think it's useful and have the same stats for every team. So Man United are treated the same as Barnsley. And obviously Man United have been in it every season, so there's a little bit more to say, but I just wanted to reflect the importance to those 
let's call them the smaller clubs. And I, and I, I don't really, I mean, there's a lot of focus on the big six, obviously, because they are the big six. But I, I like the fact that we can give a little bit of airtime to the smaller clubs. Sorry, no, that was a very long explanation. I'm sorry about that. No, that's fine. It's always important to make, you know, to give each club equal weight in, especially in something as broad as the Premier League. I mean, you, you know, you can't really say, have all the big facts without mentioning the fact that you say, like Norwich are the only team to finish in, they finished with a negative goal difference. and Yeah, yeah they were third quite, in, the, in the very first season. They were third. Yeah, came quite close to winning the league. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. same with uh, Swindon being the first team to concede 100 goals. You know, it's, it's And still the only team to do so, yeah. Exactly. It's probably a, uh, not a fact that they're particularly proud of, but at the same time, it's an important start in the history of the, uh, of the Premier League. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, there are these little stats and facts, and I like just the idiosyncratic ones, because you've got to have the basic information. So you've got to have, you know, it's like building a house. You've got to have the foundations, but then you get a chance to, you know, decorate your own bedroom or the sitting room or whatever it might be. And those are the little things I quite like. So it's pulling out the interesting ones. And, and as we were talking about just before we, we started, um, last night... <laughs> it suddenly came up on 606 where Ali Bruce Ball asked Chris Sutton, you know, who was the first player to score an own goal and a goal in their game in the Premier League. And Sutton obviously knew that it was him because he, he did it against West Ham in January 1994. But then Sutton actually came up with another one saying, oh, well, who was the first substitute to be substituted? And he claims it was him. So I spent most of Sunday morning researching that because it came out last night <laughs> my wife wasn't very happy with me she said why aren't you in the garden I said well I've just got to research this fact and it's literally <laughs> taken me two and a half hours and I still haven't found it but that's the sort of thing you know if you're going to do a fact book you've got to do your research you know if you if you're thinking of doing anything like a book or even an article you know because obviously I write regularly for the Guardian be very wary if you get a mis- if you make a mistake wow do you get hammered? And of course, we make mistakes. I mean, there's the odd mistake in the book because it's 360 pages. And as soon as you get that mistake, everyone gets on to you. They don't go, oh, that's a brilliant fact. They just go, that's a mistake. And it's, it's a good lesson for anyone thinking of getting into writing. Always check, always verify. Okay, I can understand people who use Google, but don't rely on it. Go to at least two or three sources for your information no, that's it I, I recently wrote a book it's, it's a very small very short small book uh, about um players who represented their country whilst playing for grimsby town wow and that must be quite a small book <laughs> yeah it's, it's only about 29 pages long but it's um it's it's got enough necessary information i think for each player and it it, it you know it, it came from hours of research you know finding mm having to look for um, scores for Antigua from the early 90s when Keith Alexander played for him. Is, uh, is, is, uh, it was quite a t- Did he uh, really? A oh, well, dear old Keith Alexander, very sad when he... Um, it was, died. yeah. Yeah, he was a, a good player for, for Grimsby, actually. We, we, uh, we were talking off air before we started recording about uh, when Grimsby played Wimbledon in 89 in the FA Cup. It was Keith Alexander who scored the goal. Oh, um, was it? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So he actually gets mentioned in the playoffs book because Lincoln famously had five years on the trot five years on the trot in the playoffs and they didn't win any of them 
They got to a couple one of, of which, finals. One of which was a loss to Grimsby in it 2006. Was. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're part of the red and white stripe black curse, you know, which yes. is now 31 entries because Exeter didn't win this, this uh, season. 31 times those That's clubs it. have come in and they haven't won one yet. But we've got Brentford possibly in the championship who might break that. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a fact, though, isn't it? That's yeah, it's, it's my favourite, and usually I would be at the playoff finals every year. But obviously this year it's a bit more restricted, so I'm, I didn't go to the League Two one. But you know, when you're in the media centre, everyone comes up to you and goes, "Is that still going?" That stat. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. And you can imagine <laughs> them all going, "Right, okay, I can use that. I'll take that. That's a nugget." That's it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what you're uh, what you're aiming for with the Premier League book. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Right then. Um, the in- apologies to the listeners. The intro has gone on a little bit longer than usual. Yeah, sorry, that's my fault. No, no, no. By all means, it's because uh, you know it's such an interesting topic. Um, so we're going to start off with your uh, fantasy fives team. Now, am I right in thinking that you are choosing your dream palace team? Yes, I am. Yep, yep, yep. That's what so, I'm going to go for. So uh, between the sticks, who is the one in the long pants and the uh, ill-fitting shirt? Well, you see, if it was long, long pants, it should be Gabor Karai, who played for us <laughs> and also always wore tracksuit bottoms. I've never quite worked out. There's actually a, there's a Twitter feed called uh, Grey Jogging Bottoms or something in you know, honour of Gabor Karai. But um, actually, he wasn't a very good goalkeeper, so we're not going to put him in. I was thinking of actually having uh, our current keeper, who's been brilliant, Vicente Goeta. But actually, he's made a couple of real howlers in the last couple of games so um in the end and i nigel martin is probably the best goalkeeper i've ever seen at palace uh as an outfield you know in sorry an 11 aside football it, it's, in, it's i was thinking about it, choosing a five side team you never see these players in five side i mean i play five side still at the grand old age of whatever i am and i now <laughs> play with my son who's a bit quicker and more skillful than me but um I don't know what they'd be like, the player. I don't know if your previous people have considered, you see them at 11 aside, how would they actually be in five? Because it's a different skill. Five aside is, is yeah. a different game. And there are different skills. So that's why I've chosen this person rather than Nigel Martin, who I'm sure would be very good. It's a guy, and we're going a long way back, so hopefully some of your younger listeners might have to look this up. John Burridge? No. Oh. John Burridge, yes. I think he represented 32 clubs in his career or something mad. But, yeah. you know, they talk about the madness of goalkeepers. Burridge was properly balmy. I mean, he was... <laughs> when I started going to Palace, uh, so he was around in the sort of... Um, I started... The first game I went to was amazing, 1969. But then Burridge came and... He used to do this amazing thing pre-match. Look him up on YouTube. He used to do handstands and backflips. And this was his pre-match warm-up. And you're just thinking, what? But actually, he was a really good goalkeeper. And I think for a five-a-side goalkeeper, you want someone who's obviously pretty agile, you know, but slightly mad. And I think Burridge would be the man because he'd be talking the whole time as well. Chat, 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 chat. He never, yeah. ever stopped talking. And he was always there. And I think he would give you a sense of, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're all right with this boy because he will talk his way out of anything. So 
I'm going for John Burridge. Uh, and, you know, I think he, he would be known by most people of a certain age because he played for so many clubs. And, you know, he was a good goalkeeper. And also his nickname, Budgie, quite a good name. Yes. I like, quite like Budgie. Um, did, you, did you ever, do you remember him? Uh, I've got a vague, man. vague sort of knowledge of him, yeah. Um, it, he was, at one point, wasn't he the oldest player to play in the Premier League? He was, although he was ousted by another was... goalkeeper. And that's the quiz question that you're going to have to answer. <sighs> Who was the oldest player? I can give you a clue. He was playing for Bradford City. Oh, it'd have to be Neville Southall, wouldn't it? Correct. Because he yes. was a goalkeeping coach there. And they only had a couple of goalkeepers and they both got injured. Yes. So he played... Against Leeds, I believe it was. They got beaten. I'm just going on memory here. I think they got beaten 2-0. But Neville Southall was well over 40. Yes, he, he was, yeah. And also, as you know, Neville, he's quite a big boy now. Yeah. He, he was on the way to getting quite big. If you look, at, look him up again on YouTube, and he, yeah, he filled the goal. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So, yeah, John Borridge, he's, he's one of those names that you... If you ever sort of look up the word football journeyman, you'd yes. probably have John Burridge as one of the... I think uh, he might even have the record for playing for the most clubs, you know. Yeah, I think he, but, he's very close. Because, as I say, I think it was in the early 30s, which is quite impressive. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And, and so, a lot of quite big clubs. So uh, I wouldn't call Palace necessarily a big club, but Villa he played for and Man City. And, and yeah, you know... He, he, he was not just a journeyman lower league, he was journeyman every league. Oh, and yeah. He played abroad for a while as well. He played, played at a he very was still high level. playing when he was about 45, 46 in a, in a foreign league. Well, that's, uh, yeah, you, you do tend to get, um, sometimes at five aside, you do tend to get the, uh, an older gentleman playing in goal who could, could probably still keep a clean sheet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So he knew his, you know, he's experienced. So sorry, this five-side team. Uh, are we talking about they have to be playing now or in their prime? Oh no, it, it, it could be any time. But I think he'd be all right now because he's a. Goal I think he would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I'm just not sure he should be doing backflips at the age of 48 or whatever he might be now. Poss- possibly not. No, it might uh, it might do himself a mischief doing something like that. Exactly. Now. Um, in the conversation we had setting up this uh, recording on Twitter, um, I was actually quite pleased at the fact that uh, your formation for five-a-side includes two defenders uh, because it's finally somebody who uh, is, uh, likes my way of thinking when it comes to setting out a five-a-side team. And we, we both came to the conclusion it's because, by trade, we are both defenders. So um, Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, when I was younger... I used to be able to run around a bit, so I actually played in central midfield at school and at uni. But then, as soon as I left uni, I was getting a little bit older, a little bit wider. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to drop in the back here. And uh, I've been there ever since. Um, and I quite like it. Um, and I, I remember very clearly when my son started to play, and he was about, I don't know, five or six, and he playing in a team, local team. And I said, you're going to be a defender. And he said, Dad, I don't want to be a defender. I want to go up and score goals. I said, you're going to be a defender. And, and I actually drilled into him. I said, "And don't ever go over the halfway line. And it was brilliant. You know what, like five <laughs> and six-year-olds are like, they all run around yeah. like, you know, after the ball. And he, 
being a good lad, he didn't go over the halfway line and everyone just went, what's that kid doing? Why has he got this sort of inner discipline? And then they looked at me and went, got you. Because I was going <laughs> across the halfway line. So, you know, that, defending to me, and I, interesting that, you know, you went, but you, your previous guys, Italia 90, 1980s, I think defending was probably more appreciated in the older times. So Italia 90 was famously quite um, the fewest goals, I think, of any world yeah. Cup, on average. And it was where, you know, Maldini, for me, is possibly the greatest defender I've ever seen. As in, I saw him play games live, uh, not live on telly. Yeah. Uh, And I did see Bobby Moore, who was brilliant as well. But just the art, Maldini never, ever, he said, if I'm making a tackle, I've got got it wrong. Because his positioning was brilliant. He used to anticipate. And he was a brilliant tackler as well. And, you know, one club man, and he just incredible also very good looking, annoyingly, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's, he sounds like a nice guy. He's only played for one club. He was very good looking. Maddening how good that is. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing defending. And I think if you, if you look at fullbacks today, the emphasis tends to be on how good are they going forward. Yeah. If Trent Alexander-Arnold you know, has got the most assists or something this season. Great. I know Trent Alexander Arnold is a very you know, he's a top class player clearly because he's playing for a top class side and they've just walked the Premier League. But still, for me, the most important thing about being a defender is defending. And that might sound a bit boring and a bit old hat, but I would rather have four people or three at the back who can defend uh, rather than someone who's very good. We've got a guy called Van Arnholt. But yeah. left back, he you know when he gets forward he can be brilliant. But he, do you know what? His sometimes he's been good. He's been good, but sometimes his defending is really not very good. And he's he's not a natural defender. You, you know what I mean? He just doesn't take up the right position sometimes. And you just think, no, I see where you're coming from. I I, I like defenders, so I'm going to be really boring in this five side. So we're going to just grind out attritional nil alls. One nils. We don't want big scores. I don't like this 13-12 nonsense. We're going to keep it tight. Oh, that's definitely. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So, uh, with that in mind, who have you chosen as your defenders for your team? Well, again, I'm looking very much at this five-a-side, you see. I don't think... I mean, I'm a centre-back because I'm slow and cumbersome and quite large. I would not fit into a five-a-side team of any use because I'm just... You need speed, I think, in five-a-side. You need agility like a goalkeeper does I think you need nippy players and I personally I wouldn't choose any centre-backs because I don't know is your five-a-side uh, the rules above head height are you allowed to do that um, is it outdoor indoor the, the teams that I used to uh, run used to play outdoor yeah so, yeah I play still... outdoors and you're allowed above yeah. head height but still you know, yeah, the no head small. height rule yeah. yeah, but anyway, uh, aside from that, I just don't want a big lumbering centre back. And quite frankly, Palace have had quite a few. Uh, and if you watched Mamadou Sacco yesterday do his little pirouette <laughs> in the six-yard box, that's exactly what you don't want. So um, I'm going for two fullbacks, okay? Because I just think they can defend and they can go forward. So the first one is Kenny Sanson. 
who is the best fullback I've ever seen at Palace. You know, and I'm going back 50 years here. So yeah. he was a left back and he just was so good. And he had that low centre of gravity that you need for a fullback. I think, you know, you don't get that many lanky fullbacks, do you? No. You, you want someone, he doesn't have to be six foot three. He, he needs to have good positioning, good tackling, etc. So I've gone for Kenny Sanson, as I say, because he was just, I, I can just imagine him in a five-side team being really good because he just was quick and uh, he got forward. And it was a great show. And, and that's, was, that Palace team that he was in was called the team of the 80s. And it lasted about a month because, you know, we came up with Venables as the manager and we had some great players and everyone said, this is the future. We went top of the old first division when we beat Ipswich 4-1 in September. And they thought, this is it. And quite frankly, within two years, we were back down in the second division. And one of the reasons is Ken Kenny Sanson went to Arsenal. And yeah, we, got, see. we got Clive Allen back in, in return which didn't really work. And, um, yeah, so Kenny's in there on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, more recent uh, and something that, you know, your younger listeners will recognise is Aaron Wambasaka. Excellent who choice. Who came in, I don't know if you know this, but he was a winger originally. Yeah, yeah. When he, he was at uh... Palace, he was, you know flying up the wing and they thought, oh, he's a good player. And he was in the first team squad. And then we had an injury crisis at right back. So Joel Ward was injured and then the, the backup fullback was injured. And suddenly someone said, why don't we try Wampasaka in training there? And he just took to it absolutely. I mean, talk about a duck to water. He was just immediately in and he got thrown in. Remember, he got thrown in. I think his first game was against Tottenham. His first three games were like Tottenham, Chelsea and Man in, City or Man United. I mean, it was tough. As a baptism, it was a baptism of fire. And he was just so good. He's good because A, his tackling is, is some of the best I've ever seen. He's got this amazing ability to get his legs snaking out and just nicking the ball you always think when you first when I first saw him I thought oh my god he's going to get sent off about every other game because he just does this amazing tackling but he always got the ball always got the ball and that's why he, his nickname was Spider I, I like yeah. nicknames because he had this ability he looked like he had eight legs and he could just tackle anything and you know he's gone from strength to strength he came in he then played for the next sort of 10 games and then he played all the following season and was brilliant. And I knew as soon as I saw him that this boy is going to do really well. And we, we also know at Palace, we're, we're realistic. We're not going to hold on to players who are going to be future international stars. And I'm telling you now, Aaron Wambasaka is a future England player. He is really really good and he will get there and I think he's proved at Man United I mean I was strangely enough I went to see my butcher for the first time yesterday in Willston who's a Man United fan obviously because we live in London and he, <laughs> he just said to me he said Rich you were right he is exceptional he's he said he's definitely my player of the season because he's just been very consistent 
And he's got this amazing calm attitude. He's quite a young guy still. He never gets flustered. You see him, he's just always chewing. Yeah. Chilled, you know, that's fine. You know, okay. I, think, I think that's one of his main strengths, actually. You, you, you sort of watch him on the ball and you, th- you do think he's been, you know, a 10-year professional. You, you forget how, how young he really is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the only aspect, I suppose, of his game that people don't... He isn't, weirdly, as someone who was originally a winger, he doesn't get forward as much as some. But again, going back to what we were saying earlier, I like people who defend first. Yeah. And then they go forward as a possible. He does get forward, but he's, he's just beginning, I think, now to develop. I think he's had two assists in the last two games. And he's just beginning yeah. to develop that part. But he's young. You know, he's, he's only been playing in this position for two years. And you imagine... You know, us as amateur footballers, changing position from a winger to a full-back is quite a transition. And oh, most definitely. He did it immediately, immediately. And without doubt, he is he's the best right-back I've seen at Palace. You know, and it's, it's, it's a long old haul, my Palace watching. So I'm putting him in. And, you know, no. so I, I don't resent him going to Man I get that. You know, he, we got a lot of money for 50-odd million, which we haven't yeah. really invested, but that's for another matter. Um, but, yeah, Wan-Bissaka in there. Definitely, definitely. He's, uh, he's been the cause of uh, many arguments. Uh, in my day job, I work in adult social care. Oh, right. Um, one, of, one of my service users is a uh, massive Liverpool fan. So there's been quite the argument between me and him since I started the job in April. About right. who's the better right back between uh, Wan Bissaka and Trent Alexander Arnold, yeah. and I've sort of had to sort, sort of just say, look, let's call it a draw, and let's just appreciate <laughs> the fact that for for the first time in a long time, we have two English players of equal similar ability. Let's just enjoy it, as opposed to uh, arguing about it constantly. And also the double-barreled, which helps. That's it, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> that's great. We've got two really good double-barreled right, right back. Yeah, I mean, Trent, as I said earlier, Trent Alexander-Arnold is exceptional. I think he's got different strengths, personally. I mean, if you had a combination of wan and Alexander-Arnold, which would be a quadruple-barreled name, that would be yeah. a good player. Yeah. Most definitely. So uh, that's a, a really good defence, actually, that could... Uh, I know you said you like defenders to defend, but they could also turn defence into attack quite quickly, yeah, especially exactly. yeah. especially on the five-a-side court. Mm. Um, with that in mind, who have you chosen for the midfield? Well, I was I was weighing this up because I think you do need a bit of an enforcer in midfield. Sometimes you need someone who is not necessarily you know doing flicks and tricks. So I was thinking of bringing in a hard man. And we've had a few hard men in the in the past, uh, and I was actually thinking of a guy called Andy Gray. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah. Who played for us? He played for Tottenham. Played for Villa. Played a couple of games for England. Um, and he was he was hard. I mean, I've I've interviewed him. I'm still scared of him now. And he's in, the, <laughs> he's in his fifties. So, um, and he had the hardest shot. I think I've ever seen it. You know, it's one of those ones where when it hit the net, you thought that that net's not strong enough. It's not going to hold that ball. An absolute hammer of a right foot. Incredible. And scored some great goals. But in the end, I just thought, is he going to be, all, is he going to be the man I need in midfield? Because if you've got your two defenders, actually, I'm thinking about formation. Do you need your destroyer? 
probably not. So he was he was considered, and I also thought of Jeff Thomas, who was great when we, you know, in that 1990 FA Cup, and subsequently we came third in the first division. Jeff Thomas was the captain, and also a great bloke, um, and, and a nice player. I know everyone thinks of him when he had that horrible shot against France or England, but actually he was a solid player. But solid is not what we need today, Dan. What we need is a bit of bit of something, a bit of flair, a bit of trickery, and it can only be Wilfred Czar. Can you imagine him on a five-side pitch? Uh, as a defender, he, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> he would absolutely pull them apart. Um, and, you know, I've seen him since his first game at Palace, so it's been quite a journey. You know, he's been with us ever since he was a kid. You know, he's played for us for 10 years, off and on. Obviously, he had his little Man United exodus, which didn't yeah. work out, and went on loan to Cardiff, etc. But what a player to have. I mean, you could just, you just know, you just, if you're in trouble, give Wilf the ball. He'll go and do something for you. So, you know, we're grinding out this nil-all draw, and then you give it to Wilf, 1-0, thanks. Shut up, shop. That's so, a, yeah. it's going to be Wilf for me, because he just has that bit of magic. And as you say, as a defender, the last person you want to meet on a five-side court is someone like that. Most definitely. It was, uh, it was a little bit disappointing that it, it didn't quite work out for him at Manchester United. It was, um, I think it was a, one of those moves, it, it perhaps came at the wrong time in his career. I think that's true. I think, because uh, he was, you know, the, I'm going to give you a nugget here, Dan. He was Alex Ferguson's, Alex Ferguson's last signing at Man United. Yes, he was. Because uh, obviously then David Moyes took over and for whatever reason, and there are some scurrilous rumours, which obviously we don't get involved in, uh, why David Moyes didn't really like Wilfred Zahar to do with his daughter. But we're not going to talk about that because that's scurrilous no, okay. rumours. Um, and he just didn't make it, did he? And he was on the, you know, he hardly had a game. He played in the Community Shield. I think he came on once or twice. But he didn't fit in. And Moyes is that sort of manager, I think. Once he's made his mind up, he's not going to change it. Yeah. And he probably thought, oh, Ferguson, I need to get rid of his legacy. Because, you know, let's face it, he only won 13 Premier League titles. But um, <laughs> Moyes is not that sort of manager. He doesn't, he's not a huge uh, flair person. He's more work worker-like. Which, funnily enough, Roy Hodgson is a bit like that. But, um, yeah, it didn't work out for him. And thank God we got him back. Because you know, he, 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 he almost single-handedly got us up to the Premier League in 2013 because he scored the two goals against Brighton in the second leg of the playoffs. Remember the playoffs? Uh, two fantastic goals. You know, we weren't expecting to go through because we were nil all from the first leg at Sellers and then went down to the Amex, beat them 2-0, which was quite sweet when you beat your local rivals, as you remember Grimsby doing yes. Lincoln. Um, and then in the final against Watford, he won the penalty, which was a definite penalty, by the way. And Watford fans have hated him ever since, which is a bit weird because if you ever watch it, it's the clearest penalty you've ever seen. And then we handed it over to Kevin Phillips, who obviously is the... the, the if you're going to have a player to take a penalty in a playoff final... Kevin Phillips is your man. But particularly as he used to play for Watford and, you know, it's where he started his career. You just, 
I knew as soon as that ball was on the spot and he was there that we were going to score. I'm very nervous normally. I just think we're going to cock this up. But Kevin Phillips is your man. But anyway, back to Wilf. Such a great player, as you say. If it had been different circumstances, I think he could have gone on to be a great player for Man United. He's a great player for us. Whether he's going to be with us next season, not sure. But, you know, the transfer window this season will be very odd because it's so, you know, because of the circumstances and the finances. So I don't know about that. And he actually hasn't had a great season, but um, he's definitely in my father's side team. No, that's, that's good. He was a good choice. And yeah, again, you know, he, he's the sort of player that as a defender, he, he would just strike fear into you. Um, yeah, you you would really would not want to come up against him. No, absolutely um, not. So that's uh, that's a really good choice for midfield. Actually, Zaha, because uh, like you say, he could, he could cover every every blade of the. Uh, can you call it blade anymore on three G? No, not pitches, really, so. unless it's five G. <laughs> you know, got that sort of weird grass <laughs> stuff, haven't you? But uh, yeah, he would. He does work hard. Actually, I mean, everyone says, "Oh, he's just a bit of a you know show pony." But uh, Hodgson's got him working hard, and I think he'd be up there in the five side. You know, if you've got two really good defenders. As I say, you don't need someone who's naturally a midfield player. You just need someone with a bit of something up uh, to go forward. So that's why I chose. He's effectively a winger. That's how, what he is. But I think he would do well as a five-a-side midfield player. No, that's great. Um, so you've got Wilfred Zahar in midfield. Yeah. Uh, who have you got as your striker? The one, the one slotting the uh, the goal away. If it's not Wilf getting it himself. Yeah, it's important. And, you know, Wilf doesn't actually score that many goals. I'm sure he does in five aside, but he doesn't score that many goals normally. I, I had a choice of two or three here, Dan. Yeah, it's always difficult, isn't it? Whittling it down. It is. Vince Hilaire was one I had, who was, but he's a bit similar to Wilf because he, again, was in the team of the 80s. Very tricky, really quick and clever, but not, you don't want two. So, you know, you can't have Wilf and Vince Hilaire on the same team, probably. I really considered very strongly Andy Johnson because he's a great yeah. goal scorer. and he, Very, very you know, good player. He scored. We got relegated in 2004-05 and he scored 20-odd goals. 20-odd yeah. goals in a relegated team. He was the highest... Goal scorer, English goal scorer. He was only the only person who got more goals than him that season was Thierry Henry. That's, that's, so that's, a, that's a hell of a start. Yeah, I mean, it's penalties. There were a lot, few penalties in there, quite a few. But generally, Addy Johnson is another man who's through on goal. You go, okay, get ready for kickoff because he's going to score. He just had yeah. that knack. He was just really good. And you know, you know what good strikers are like? They just look like they're going to score. Like Vardy yesterday. Yeah, most obviously definitely. His, obviously, his first goal, I could have scored. You could have scored. But his second goal, as soon as he broke from the halfway line, you went 3 0. You just yeah. know it, don't you? You just can tell. Uh, same with likes of Shearer and Henri. But anyway, he was close. But in the end, my uh, striker is Ian Wright. Because again, we go back to that 1990 team, and he was just so good. And he was just, again, clinical in front of goal. But he would work hard. He would niggle. He'd, he'd upset. You know, again, you were talking about as a defender, you don't want Ian Wright buzzing about you. 
Really, most definitely you know, having had Will Sahar turning you in circles, it then goes to Ian Wright, and you just go, well, really, do I have to do this? And <laughs> he would slot a lot of goals. He'd wind up the opposition because he used to wind people up. And he's another player, you know, going back to Kenny Sanson, who, when he left the club to go to Arsenal, that was the beginning of the decline of that 1990 team. And we were relegated immediately after. In fact, I'll tell you a story. He lives very close to me here in Northwest London. Oh, wow. And I gave him my first book because I knew someone who was his, literally his next door neighbour. Uh, and I said, would you mind giving Ian this book? It's called The A to Z of Football Hates, the first book I wrote. And in there, I mention one of my hates is players who don't celebrate against their former clubs, right? But Ian Wright famously scored on the last day of the season in uh, 94-95, right? So the last day of the season, we were at Arsenal. No, 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 it's 92-93, sorry. Um, last day of the season, we were at Arsenal. Oldham, who had been absolutely useless, had won three on the trot. And they beat Southampton 4-3. Matt Letizia scored a hat-trick. But Oldham won, so we had to get something out of the Arsenal game. This was going on at the same time, obviously, because the last game yeah. of the season. Arsenal humped us 3-0. Ian Wright scored, and he went up to the Palace fans, and he kissed his badge in front of the Palace fans. Oh, wow. Having just gone to Arsenal the previous season. And you can imagine his popularity dipped somewhat. And everyone was upset that he'd gone to Arsenal anyway. Part of the reason was because Ron Nose made a very ill-advised comment, stupid comment about uh, our black players saying they, should, they, they don't really fancy it in the winter. I mean, Palace have always had black players. And you, you say that, and Ian Wright yeah. really got hacked off. And, but he was always going to go on again to a, another level, Ian Wright. Um, but it was a bit sad that it happened. And when he did that, and I mentioned it in the book, so when I gave the guy the book, who's his next door neighbour, I stupidly said, oh, Ian, by the way, I do mention you on page 167. I hope you don't mind. It's not, you know, it's not particularly complimentary. So obviously Ian Wright gets the book, immediately goes to page 167. Within a minute, he's back at the next door neighbour. He said, you can tell your friend to shove this book where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> he blocked me on Twitter. He, you know, it was just a bad, why did I do that? Why did I say, because he could have read the book and he'd have been fine and it would have been in context. But because I told him to go straight there, he thought, oh, this is just anti and right. Why is this guy giving him the book? Anyway, I've, I've forgiven him. He hasn't forgiven me, but um, he, he, he'd definitely be in there because he, he would get you stacks of goals. And we're not conceding any, so we're we're rocking. Yeah, uh, it's he's a great player, Ian Wright. I've uh, yeah. I've always I've always admired him. Uh, he came in that sort of that great golden era of English strikers mm. in the mid nineties. Uh, you know, you talk. Yeah, he was a bit Giro. unfortunate. He should have played a few more games for England, possibly. He should, yeah. And there's plenty of strikers that you can file under that category you know you'd, you'd look at uh, Robbie Fowler Les Ferdinand yeah exactly uh, maybe yeah. even Andy Cole yes. um, it, it, I do call it the Shearer paradox mm. um, but yeah and at the time I don't actually think there was a better natural finisher in, in the Premier League um, nah. 
I mean, he he and, scored, you know, he steadily scored strikers' goals. He he wasn't walloping it in from twenty five yards. Uh, he was just, you know, that man, the fox in the box idea, and he yeah. was just so quick and nippy and just had a, an amazing knack. I mean, I wish I, I've played five aside for about thirty years. I scored two goals possibly, but um, you know, the that ability just to be so cool and clinical in front of goal is an attribute that you know is very treasured and something that you know is 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 quite rare still and you don't get that many excellent strikers there are lots of very good strikers i think kane's clearly a, a fantastic striker and has that ability just to score goals even though he might miss a few and again wright was one of those you know he'd, he'd miss a couple but he would not be ever put off his confidence would still be high you know he's a very confident guy and he'd come from a really tough tough background and he you know famously he was once put inside because he had a driving yeah. offense and he, he, he I don't know if you ever listened to this desert island disc thing you know he talks about that and how it affected him and he was one of those people just determined to just succeed and when he first started as a pundit I didn't really like him but I'm actually growing to like him a bit more now because I think he's actually got a bit of he's got a nice sense of humor he's a bit cheeky he, yeah he's yeah. He's the sort of guy you want in your five-side team. Most definitely. I haven't listened to the Desert Island Discs, but I watched recently the uh, BT Sport documentary about him and David Rowcastle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, uh, again, touch, touches on the, his early life and uh, you know talks about the struggles that he had to overcome, uh, which, again, I think it just emphasises him as a char- his character more than anything. Yeah, and that's what you do need in five-side, I think, more than any characters, don't you? Yeah, it's great. To, you know, you can imagine that changing room. There'll be a lot of chat going on. So you have Burridge doing his, you know, warm ups, head stands, and all that sort of stuff. Righty, he would be rabbiting away all the time. You know, I interviewed um, Jeff Thomas once, and he talked to me about the dressing room that was at Palace at that time, and he said it was incredible because he had, you know, the likes of Andy Gray is a tough, tough guy. You had Ian Wright, and then you had Gareth Southgate, who's this sort of, his parents were both teachers. He was from, you know, Hertfordshire. And he walked yeah. into this dressing room with these South London boys who were tough and hard and didn't have any truck with anybody. But it's interesting when you, when you talk to people about that, and Southgate comes across as a nice, gentle fellow, doesn't he? No, he, does, he yeah. He's got a core... He survived that dressing room, which some people would not have done because they used to call him, you know, I think they called him the, um, something like the spy because they just thought, oh, he's just a goody goody, you know, and that sort of thing. And, you know, he's got, he's, he's actually quite ruthless Southgate, which you need to be to be a good manager. Do we, do we get to appoint a manager for our five side team? Or? If you, if you'd like to, then you're more than welcome to. Well, yeah, Somebody needs to pay the referee at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And for the pitch as well. So um, I'm going to have to choose someone with a bit of money, aren't I? Um, <laughs> well, the best managers I've seen at Palace are um, Steve Koppel, who clearly took us from being a pretty mediocre second uh, tier team to 
coming third in the first division in 1991, getting to an FA Cup final for the first time in our lives, blah, blah, blah. Um, perhaps perhaps if, we're, if we're being slightly uh, uh, slightly optimistic as well, perhaps Palace should have won the FA Cup in 1990 as well. I went to every game in that FA Cup run. So from, you know, we started off at, the first three rounds, we had Portsmouth, Huddersfield and Rochdale, which weren't exactly big tests. And they were all at home as well, which was a bit lucky. And then we got to the quarterfinal. We had Cambridge, who were the only fourth division side left in the competition. So we won 1-0 through a very streaky Jeff Thomas. And then the greatest game I've ever been to, and I doubt will ever, ever be beaten, was Liverpool 4-3. Yeah. Having lost 9-0 to them in the league that season. 9-0 so that was quite sweet um, and then the final as you say yeah I don't think we would that it's very difficult I don't remember you know, I've been to obviously seen Palace in two FA Cup finals 1990 and the one in 2016 both against Man United both lose um, I don't remember a lot about the 1990 final possibly because I was slightly tipsy you know you get to a cup <laughs> final you, you're not going to say oh I might have a lemonade we probably had a few beers and we were overexcited you know because never thought it was going to happen um, but I don't remember. obviously when we went 3-2 up you just think okay and Hughes scored with seven minutes to go and you sort of knew the second game was so bad the replay yeah game only <laughs> Four days, you know, it was only on the Thursday, which seems ridiculous now. Uh, and I'll let you into secret, that is the first competitive football match, possibly the first football match my wife had ever been to. I don't know how I got her oh, wow. ticket. So she came and she said, afterwards, obviously we lost. It was a pretty crap game. You know, United won 1-0 through the Lee Martin goal. But she loved it because she was at Wembley with 90,000 people. You know, red and she always remembers the red and blue balloons because we used to take balloons everywhere. Oh, yeah. Everywhere, red and blue, red and blue. And a great atmosphere, crack game. Next game I took her to was Coventry at home on a Tuesday night. We lost, I think, 2-1. And she said, I don't like this. I'm not, I'm not into this. Can we go back to Wembley? I said, it's not that easy, darling. You don't just get to <laughs> Wembley. <laughs> Uh, but she has been a couple of times since. But no, I, I yeah, that that was um, that cup final is is still a great regret. But it was a great, uh, what a great cup final that was. Three all. You yeah. don't get many of those anymore. Obviously, no, you certainly don't. Liverpool West Ham a few years ago, but generally, cup finals are not that entertaining anymore because they're always the same teams, aren't they? Yeah. But yeah, um, right was incredible when he came on you know it was his first touch wasn't he when he came on scored yeah you know he'd broken his leg twice that season yeah it was a it was a bit of a personal triumph for him as well really wasn't it to yeah. come back from those two big injuries and because he didn't play in the semi-final because he just literally two weeks beforehand done it again so he broke yeah. his leg early in the season then he broke it again and you know he was itching to get on clearly and he he just you know as an impact sub wow what a player that's it. Um, so my manager, yeah, so Steve Copper would be my manager. I mean, I might even, you know, Roy would be great, but maybe he could pay the ref and be the sort of grandee. So he'd be there sorting everything out. I mean, he's, he's a little old now, isn't he, for football. Um, but Steve Copper, <laughs> I, would, I would choose him because A, he was such a great manager. B, when he joined the club, 
and I've heard this from three or four players and also the assistant manager, Alan Smith, he was still the best player on the yeah. side pitch, apparently. When they played training games, because Koppel, obviously, is knee injury, 27 years old, over, very young to be a manager. If you consider he was then brought into Palace. Yeah. A couple of seasons after he, he retired. And it, although his knee was a bit knackered, he still played, and apparently he was cut above everybody else so if someone gets injured in my five-a-side team i could bring my manager on yeah he, he could he could always fill in in case somebody uh can't make it at the last minute exactly and i met him what was it two years ago to talk um about something i was doing about the actually about the palace liverpool fa cup semi-final and he looks like he could still play i mean he's not got a shred of fat on him and he looked fit as a butcher's dog so you know, just in case one of our players gets injured, it's important to have a manager who can come on and play. And he's registered. I, I noticed, you know, I, I checked with the authorities. He's still registered as a player. Oh, good. <laughs> so uh, just to recap your team then, you've gone for John Burridge in goal. Yep. Uh, a defence made up of Aaron Wambisaka and Kenny Sanson. Yep. Um, it was Wilfred Zahar in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Ian Wright up top. And then uh, Steve Koppel in the uh, in the tracksuit on the sidelines, itching to get on. Uh, exactly. Not necessarily so hoping someone might just pull a calf muscle or uh, have a little twinge so he can get on himself. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. That's and they're all the, quite no, small, you know. They're all quite, you know, Wilf's obviously reasonably so, but the rest of them, under six foot, and that sort of, you know... Quick, yeah, agile, nimble, nifty. That's what we need, and that, I'm I'm happy with that team, Dan. I'm happy. No, that's 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 quite decent, actually. It's you know when you're pulling up at the sports centre on a Thursday night for five aside, you see that team, you might want to, you might sort of think to yourself, hmm, maybe I should have stuck, stayed at home with the wife. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that <laughs> that hamstring, actually. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. It's it's it not quite right today. It is a bit cold, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just before we finish then, um, where can people uh, find your uh, books if uh, they wanted to purchase a copy? Uh, well, it'd be very kind of them to do so, and I'd be delighted. Uh, they are all available through Amazon. So, um, you know, that's where you will find copies are available. Um, if you don't fancy Amazon, and I know some people have a cultural issue with Amazon, um, not paying taxes and all that sort of stuff. You can get them through Ockley Books. So uh, apart from the Age of Football Hates, my first one, which was through another publisher, Ockley Books, uh, which is run by Dave Hartrick, who's a Brighton fan, strangely. So we don't we don't really get on. Um, <laughs> but Ockley Books, it's um, I'm sure I'll give I'll send you the link actually for both the Amazon page and the. Ockley page and then yeah you'll find any of the books that I've written there and available and obviously be delighted to uh hear anybody who reads them feedback that's what authors like because it's a yeah. lonely job being an author I can tell you and you love feedback particularly if it's nice not so keen on the nasty stuff but um no anyway uh be very very happy if anybody wanted to buy one of my books and would be delighted to hear what they think of it that, that's fantastic and uh, where can people interact with you on Twitter to give you such feedback uh, it is at RC Foster so that's where I am and I do tweet quite a lot to the annoyance of my wife um, <laughs> mainly about football 
but the odd thing as well. Um, strangely, to round this up, so I've written six, seven books. Uh, I've written regular features for The Guardian. My three children, the proudest they've ever been of, of anything I've ever done, is when I got verified on Twitter. They all went, wow, Dad, you're verified on Twitter. That's I said, I've written six or seven books. Have you noticed that? Oh, don't worry about that. No, we're not going to read those. Not interested. Even my son, who's a football fan, he's not a reader. He's 19. He's just going, nah. Why should I read your book? I hear you all the time. It's the same thing <laughs> in audio. Um, it's, it's, it's all about the tiny blue tick. It is about the tiny blue tick, apparently. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's apparently my proudest moment. No, that's uh, that's really funny, actually. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, just before we finish, I'd just like to say a big thank you to yourself, Richard, for joining joining me this afternoon. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been really nice, actually, to talk about it because, it, you know, you come up with the team, but it's nice to talk about the detail and how they're all going to fit in. And, it's yeah, it's a nice idea. So, um, are, are you going to put these teams up against each other at any point? What's the plan? Yeah, we're perhaps going to uh, put it to the vote once... Uh, I'm going to sort of do a few episodes of the podcast per season, so to speak, yeah. in, in like a little series. And then we'll we'll put each team to the vote and uh, have a sort of little bit of a Twitter poll and see see who comes out on top. Sounds great. A really good idea. Like it. Thank you very much. And uh, when those Twitter polls do come up, of course, make sure you are following uh, at Fantasy5Podcast on Twitter. That's Fantasy and then the number five podcast. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me yourself, uh, I can be found at Barker Grade 2. And uh, all that remains for me to say is uh, until next, uh, until the next episode, uh, have, a, have a great time and uh, take care.